pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. anointing will carry over into even the, the later broadcasts that are not live. 
And especially if you're in this place, you are abiding under a corporate anointing right now that can heal any sickness and disease that you have in this place this morning. So I'm just going to ask you, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and receive your healing. He's already paid the price for it. It's already yours. Just reach up with the hand of faith and say, Jesus, I come to you. Yes. And I ask you to heal me. Yes, and I know that you will in no wise cast me out. Because you heal all, everyone that comes to you. And you will not make an exception for me. So we thank you, Lord. And I just thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are healer. Thank you that you came with healing in your wings. Thank you that my healing is coming upon me speedily right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Sickness is leaving. Demons are fleeing. People are being healed in their bodies right now. And I have one more word. I don't know who it's for, but you've been in a dark place here lately. You've even thought about suicide. But God held your hand. He was there with you. He didn't allow you to do that. He won't allow you to do that. But I pray for you right now in the name of Jesus, and I declare and decree that your life is worth living. And it's not worth taking. It's not yours to take. It's his life. Turn it over to him. Come out of that dark place in Jesus' name. It ain't as bad as you think it is. And God says it's going to get brighter and brighter every day. And you're going to walk out of that darkness and into his glorious light. And never to return to that place. I know you feel like you've been wrong. I know you feel lonely. I know you feel like... Uh, you lost your best friend or you lost your favorite hunting dog. I know that you're feeling down, but God says, come up and come out. There's another one in the fire. Hallelujah. There's another one standing alongside of you. Come out of darkness into the light. In Jesus' name. And I declare that thought will not come to you again. Not come to you again. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And you may be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Children, you're dismissed. Amplified, you're dismissed. Thank you, Judah. Good job, Judah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You have your Bibles with you this morning. Turn to 2 Samuel, the 19th chapter, 2 Samuel, 19, verse 9 through 14, we're going to read, I'm going to read it in the Message Bible. I'm going to show you what I believe is wrong with our country this morning, and then, unlike other people that can point out faults, I'm going to show you the solution. To what's wrong with our country. It's one thing to tell somebody everything that's wrong with them, but then not have an answer. I'm here to tell you this morning, I have an answer. Brother Joe, the title of my message is going to be, What's Wrong with Our Country? 
Hallelujah. 2 Samuel 19 and 9. Meanwhile, the whole populace, this is in the Message Bible again, the whole populace was now complaining to its leaders. Wasn't it the king who saved us time and again from our enemies and rescued us from the Philistines? And now he has had to flee the country on account of Absalom. And now this Absalom, whom we made king, is dead in battle. So what are you waiting for? Why don't you bring the king back? So King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Since the words of all Israel have come to the king, to his very house, you are my brethren. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring the king back? He captured the hearts of everyone in Judah. They were unanimous in sending for the king. Come back, you and all your servants. Hallelujah. You know, I've been watching closely, as probably some of you have, for the last couple of years, at how our nation has changed and the things that we're witnessing is and seeing today we've never seen to this degree before. I mean, we've seen inflation, we've seen recession, we've seen high gas prices, we've seen shortages and odd and even days. We've seen a lot of this, but not in the capacity that we're seeing it today. And I'm certainly not happy with what I'm seeing. You know, we have open borders with illegal immigration that's being infiltrated by drug and sex traffickers and we've seen an explosion in fentanyl and other drug related deaths and we've seen the deterioration of our communities because of high crime lenient bail programs and the shrinking of our police forces along with their low morale we've seen a diminished workforce skyrocketing inflation out-of-control energy prices and supply chain interruptions and all these things together have caused shortages and high prices in every area of our lives we're feeling it in every area of our lives and I don't want to oversimplify it but uh, but it all started on January 6th of 20 with the stroke of a pen and there was a lot of other things happened that day. A lot of other things were signed in and out of law. And, but this is the one thing that we can point to that is responsible for every one of our problems that we're having today. And that is when we surrendered our energy independence by shutting down pipelines, restricting the use of natural gas, coal and fossil fuels, uh, refusing to issue new drilling permits and things of that nature, all the things that are healthy to power, uh, all the things that are necessary to power a healthy economy. I don't care what you're feeling today, you're feeling it because of what was done on January 6th of 20. That one stroke of the pen, and he destroyed our energy independence, and because of that, when energy prices go up and fuel prices go up, everything goes up because everything is on some type of transportation at one time or another. Yeah. 
And it's all being done under the disguise of global warming. I'm not even going to disguise any worse today. If we make it to the end, praise the Lord. If we don't, go to Rumble tomorrow or the next day, and we will be on Rumble in our entirety. Everything I said will be on Rumble. They won't censor us, and they won't take us off. But it's all being done under the disguise of global warming. And our leadership seems to think that our planet is in danger of extinction because our ozone, they say, is being eroded away with all of the gases and things that are going into the atmosphere and the fossil fuels that are being born, burned and all these other things. And, but the ozone is what protects us from the sun's damaging rays. And they think that we're going to erode the ozone to the point where the sun rays will just suck us up and burn us all up. But I got to tell you, I just can't bring myself to believe that. And I've said this before, but it, it, it bears repeating. And I don't think any Christian should believe it either. That's my opinion. If you're a Christian, then there's no way that you can or should believe in global warming. Or that the earth is going to be become extinct. And the reason I say it is because in order for us to believe in that theory, we would have to believe that God made a mistake in creation. He didn't have the foresight to realize that the ozone was going to be eaten up by man's gases and things that escaped the atmosphere. And he didn't realize that the earth would have been destroyed. In other words, God was caught by surprise. That's what you'd have to believe. And I don't know about you, but I can't bring myself to believe that. As a matter of fact, based on what I know in the Word of God, it is just not in man's power to either save or destroy this earth. Man, it, the earth has only been leased to man through the devil. In other words, it's been leased to the devil through Adam's treason, and the devil is letting his followers have their way in it right now, but they don't have the power to destroy this earth. God wouldn't allow that. And I can tell you this much, and trust me, this is no theory. God will protect his creation, and he will never allow it to be destroyed by anything that the devil or man can do. This earth is going to remain. Yes. And it's not going to be destroyed by a giant asteroid. Or a natural disaster of some kind. And it's not even going to be destroyed by nuclear war. It will cause a lot of damage. But it will never be destroyed to the point where it can't be repaired. And read the end of the book anyway. God wins, the wicked lose, and the earth is renovated and renewed by God. Amen. It doesn't say he has to replace it because man destroyed it. Right. And it's going to be returned to its original creation. Yeah. Perfect in all its beauty and majesty. Also in the past two years we've seen the deterioration of our military forces. Weapons given to our enemy. Massive amounts of weapons given to our enemy. Money given to our enemy, our education system deteriorating, the nuclear family through gender, race, and sexual preferences that are outside the scope of God's word 
and below God's standards, and we've seen the deterioration of that and an explosion in lawlessness and homelessness. Just in the past two years. Again, these things have always been around, but not like the past two years. And as if those things are, aren't bad enough, we've witnessed the loss of integrity and the corruption in our once honored and revered federal law enforcement agencies like the FBI and Home, Homeland Security and the DOJ and others. But the one thing that stands out more than anything else, and I believe to be the cause of everything that's going on in our nation right now, is the Antichrist spirit that is in the world. Yes, amen. It's sweeping through this country, trying to take our country over. Yes. Defund the police, eliminate the electoral college, do away with the Constitution, socialize health care, pack the Supreme Court, abolish the Second Amendment, and above all, close the churches. Yes. Close the churches. Yes. It's already happening with our neighbors to the north. Yes. Persecution and just beyond any level of belief that we could possibly think of. Not to mention how it's being done in the rest of the world. The devil would like nothing more than to eliminate the church. That's the only force that's holding him back right now. Yes. And some are even calling for the church to change the way it thinks. Yeah. Now, you've noticed I haven't mentioned any political parties or named any names or anything like that. I'm blaming everything on the devil. They, the devil and his followers, say that the church is antiquated and it needs to evolve and modernize. In other words, they want the church to adapt to the current culture and the current wants and beliefs of the people of the nation right now. But in order for that to happen, the church would have to change the word of God. Because that's the very foundation that the church is built upon. The living word of God and the word of God. And I promise you now that that is not going to happen. And some people aren't going to like what I'm about to say this morning. But all that matters to me and the only thing that should matter to any Christian is what God likes. And what God thinks and what God's opinion is. Amen. Amen. And I'm not here to please anybody except God. That's right. And if that displeases you, take it up with him. This is about, again, I said this uh, two weeks ago when I preached along these lines, that this is uh, about evil or good. This is about right or wrong. I don't care who it is. Yes. You're wrong, you're wrong. But the church I'm talking about is not a brick and mortar building like we're sitting in this morning. The real church is you and I. It's made up of, a, of believers. Lively stones, the Bible calls them. The church is a living organism. And it's made up of people from every walk of life. It's called the body of Christ of whom the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the head. And even if the doors to every brick and mortar building closes in our padlock, the true church of God 
will meet in the forest, in the field, in a cave, in a basement, in a house, in a ditch. The real church of Christ will continue and go on, even in the face of all that opposition. And that's because our founder, Jesus Christ, said that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't care what the devil throws at the church, he will never prevail against it. But the true church cannot and will not change the way it thinks because we believe in something that is unchangeable, unshakable, and undeniable. And we believe in the inherent word of the living God. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Can't even change a punctuation mark with God's word. And the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and forever. And the writer Malachi, the prophet Malachi, said that he is God and he changes not. It's unchangeable. Nobody can change the word. God, Jesus, the Holy Ghost, and the word are one and they cannot change. And they will not change or adapt to the ways of the world, a culture, or a generation or what any man may say or think is not going to alter the word of God. Man may change the word, but it's not changed in heaven where it counts. The apostle Paul said in Romans 3, let God be true and every man a liar. If God says one thing, you said another one, you're the liar, not God. And elephants will lay eggs and hell will turn into a tropical rainforest before any of that will ever change. God, Jesus, the Holy Ghost, the Word, none of that will ever change. I can't change what I believe or what I preach because just because someone doesn't agree with me. Yes. Especially if they don't even believe in the God that I'm preaching about. Amen. I have a suggestion for them, but I'm Too saved to save. <laughs> but the devil wants us to believe that we've come to the place where the word of God is no longer relevant. And he's telling the church that we have to accept the new world order and accept the new culture. Not only accept it, but adapt to it. And not only is he telling us, and notice I said the devil, the devil. Uh, not only is the devil telling us that we have to accept change, but he wants us to make accommodations for it. He wants us to believe that the Bible, along with our Constitution, are behind the times and they need to catch up. He wants us to believe that God is going to have to change his ways to accommodate modern society. I wonder how big an elephant egg would be. But we'll see that before we see this change that they that he wants. And our government, for the most part, has rejected God and the things of God for, for many years now, 40, 50 years. It's really been coming to the forefront. And they have given in to the Antichrist spirit that's in our nation. And he's doing everything that he can to push 
God out of every aspect of our life. And now there's an all-out attack on the church itself. Social media, for example, they censor us. If you speak for the Lord, you're going to get censored. Sooner or later, you're going to censor either all of what you say or at least some of what you say. And that's, the, and that's targeting the church because we're the only ones that are saying it. Uh, the new owner of Twitter, he's befuddled me for a while. You know, he shows signs of a good person that wants to see change. And then he shows signs of somebody that doesn't want to see change. And it, it's constantly going through my mind, is he, is he for us or against us? I can't, I can't quite picture it, you know? I mean, he's trying to do things that would normally please us by uncensoring certain people that have been banned from uh, that social media site. And, and that's good. I say, hey, you know, that's good, you know? But then he does things that don't make me think that he's so good. Well, I believe he showed his colors this past week. And even in doing some good things, you can see the evil that's behind it. Mm -hmm. And when he's come out and said that he's going to support the governor of Florida for a 2024 presidential run, I knew then he was against us. Don't be fooled by him. He's against us. Because all that would do is split the party, split the ticket. You'd have half of us voting for MAGA, half of us voting for the GOP, and the Democrats just walk right up the middle and right back into the White House again. And we will never win another election if that happens. And I hope that the governor, the great governor of the great state of Florida is smart enough to see that. He can turn this whole thing. Sometimes things just aren't what they seem to be. Are they? It's my job to tell you that in case you haven't figured it out on your own. I, I, I believe that you probably have already figured it out on your own. It's pretty obvious now. It was kind of like, well, is he or isn't he? But now I know. There's no doubt in my mind. But anyway, the thing, that, the, the thing that concerns me the most is that a large segment of the universal church has given in to that antichrist spirit. And according to God's word, they're going to be the first ones that are judged when God drops the hammer. And he is going to drop the hammer. And he said, judgment begins where? In the house of the Lord. And it seems like some churches believe that the word of God has changed. Because with some of the things they're teaching and advocating, they certainly can't be following the same Bible that I'm following. Some churches have become what we would call woke. But they're deceived. Jesus said that there's a spirit of deception that would come upon the world in the end times. And he said that even the very elect would be deceived if possible. And it's possible. 
And you know, having a cross or a tall steeple or a sign on the side of your church doesn't make you a church. Amen. Having a Jesus bumper sticker or a cross necklace doesn't make you a Christian. You can call yourself a church or a Christian or you can call yourself an astronaut. And just because you have an astronaut suit don't make you an astronaut either. It's what's inside that counts. And if you advocate for the things that God opposes, then you're not either a church or a Christian. So do me a favor, stop calling yourself that. If you support things that are opposed to the word of God, if you promote or advance unrighteous, ungodly, or lawless agendas that are hostile to the cause of Christ, or if you remain silent or support a person or any cause that advocates anything that God opposes, then you have been deceived. If God opposed it in the Old Testament, he opposes it in the New Testament. He don't change. His mind hasn't changed. And if we don't support Israel, the church, the sanctity of, sanctity of marriage, the nuclear family, the right to life, just to name a few, then don't call yourself a Christian. You could be a good person. You could help the poor. You could help little old people across the street. You could do all kinds of good deeds, but you're not a Christian. You can't align, align yourself with the things that Christ opposes and things that he would never align himself with and call yourself a follower of Christ. You're not following Christ. And you can't, as a Christian, identify with an organization. I'm being careful here now. You can't identify with an organization, a party, or even a person that advocates any issue that God opposes. That's pretty good. And you may choose to ignore the word or look the other way concerning these things, but when you stand before God, one thing you won't be able to say is that you didn't know. Because if you really didn't know, then it would be a sin. It wouldn't be a sin, I mean. Because it's to him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. So if you didn't know it, it's not a sin. But you know this. And, and you, might, you might get a slap on your wrist because the answer was there in the word and you just refused to look at it or accept it. And you can ignore the word of God if you want. And it's like I said, sometimes silence is you're just as guilty in silence as you are in doing it. But anyway, our country is in the condition it is because God has been pushed out of government, our courthouses, our schools, our constitution, our public buildings. He's not even wanted in the Pledge of Allegiance or any government document, including the, the constitution. In, in short, he's being forced out of our nation, pushed out of our nation. And you say, well, how can any man push God anywhere? God don't want to be where he's not wanted. 
And if that's not bad enough, now we have pastors and whole congregations that have pushed him out of their churches. And you want to know why our country is in the condition it is? Here's your sign. And this is exactly what's wrong with our country. I know it seems like I'm simplifying it, but this is exactly what has caused all our problems in this country for, this, for the last several years, not just the last two. They're just kind of magnified in the last two, but for the last 40 or 50 years, a little at a time here and there. Who pushed the king out? In our opening scripture, uh, King David asked the question, he asked, why then are you the last to bring back the king? And he was talking to his own tribe of Judah. Because Israel and Judah, the, the kingdoms were separated. You had the northern and the southern kingdoms. And he come from the tribe of Judah. That's why he said, it's my bone, it's my flesh, it's my blood. It was his family, his tribe. All the other tribes of Israel had invited him back. But his own tribe, the tribe that he dwells with in the capital city, didn't invite him back. And he said, why? Why are you the last to bring me back? All the other tribes wanted him. But the church remained quiet. And they remained quiet for a good number of years now. So he didn't ask the leaders of the nation that question. Because they didn't have a say whether or not he'd come back anyway. He asked the leaders of the church that question. He said, why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? That's why I know it was the church. He said, since the words of all Israel, all the other tribes, have come to the king and invited him back. The people of the nation suffered enough under the present leadership, and I think they're ready to call him back. Now, there's a lot of types and shadows here, and there's a lot of spiritual truths and natural truths that are being conveyed. And I know it would be easy to see how this would relate to one of our leaders that was pushed out and replaced by an Absalom. But I'm not talking about a man this morning. He said, you are my brethren, you are my bone and my flesh. In other words, my own body. And you haven't invited me back yet. Why are you the last to bring back the king? Why is the church the last one to bring back the king? It's a question that's relevant to every church. And it's especially relevant to a church that opposes anything that God ordains. Brother Hagen, our spiritual dad in the faith, said that God is going to hold the church responsible for the condition of the country. Because it's our job to pray, it's our job to stand up, and it's our job to speak out and be heard. And we haven't done that. We haven't done a good job in that. We fail to pray and we fail to stand up for our beliefs 
and the standards that are set forth in the word of God. And we've allowed compromise to come in, and, and sometimes it's just as subtle as just turning your head and ignoring something and pretending it's not there. God knows that you know. We've allowed a compromise to come in, not only to the church, but into our country. And God's going to hold the church responsible for it. There's a spiritual decline in our nation, and it's always a spiritual decline first. And then it shows up in the natural in the country. And if the church would have prayed and stood up and made their voices heard, maybe the Supreme Court would have never ruled in favor of Roe. What, 50 years ago? 40, 50 years ago, whatever it was. And maybe we would still be praying in our schools. Maybe the Ten Commandments would still be in our government buildings. Maybe the sanctity of marriage would still be respected. Do I need to go on? I think you get the picture. I'm not mad at anybody but the devil. You know, I asked the Lord about preaching this. He said, can you preach it in love? I said, I don't know. I'm being honest. I said, I'll try my best. He said, as long as you can preach it without malice coming out of your mouth, he said, you can preach it. But these are crucial times for our our nation for our country and the church has to come to, together at this time and we have to come in unity and one accord just like it was in the early church when the church was born in the day on the day of Pentecost they were all in unity and one accord and, and it was a short time after that we lost the unity we lost the one accord we lost the oneness we lost the Holy Spirit in a lot of churches and lost God in a lot of churches. There's a lot of churches that are prospering and, and they're growing and they're large and they've got all kinds of property and nice buildings and everything and God hasn't visited them in years. He hasn't been in their church in years. Why? Didn't want them, they pushed them out. They would rather please the people and offend God then please God and offend the people well brother don't you know the Bible says we're not to offend anybody tell that to Jesus he offended more people than anybody else I know we take things out of context sometimes to cover up our lack of boldness say that we don't want to offend somebody when we're really afraid to say what God told us to say. I used to be like that at one time. I don't think I'm like that anymore. I wouldn't be preaching this today if I was. But I've, I've come to the place where I will please God at the risk of offending man any day of the week. 
Amen? My job is to please God, not you. But anyway, we've, we've failed to stand up for our beliefs and the standards that God set forth in the Word of God. And we've allowed that compromise to come in first in the church and then into the world. We, we, it seems like we're trying to blend in with the world. We don't want to offend anybody. And, you know, so we're like camouflage Christians. We're operating incognito. And, you know, you know the problem with cam camouflage is they blend in. And we're not to blend in with the world. We're to stand out from the world. We're a light on a hill. It's not our job to blend in. It's our job to oppose the things that are in the world. And separation of church and state has been twisted around by the devil to where it doesn't mean anything anymore. They think that we're supposed to keep the church out of government. No, that was written to keep the government out of the church. We should have a voice in the Senate. We should have a voice in the House. We should have a voice in the White House. We should have a voice in the school boards and corporate boards and everywhere else. We're not to camouflage, we're to infiltrate. And we haven't done that. But anyway, that's, that's all going to change. But before we answer the question, why are you the last to bring back the king, let me raise another question. Why did the king leave in the first place? According to 2 Samuel chapter 15, King David was betrayed by his own son, Absalom. Absalom rose up against the king and behind his back orchestrated a rebellion. He got King David's loyal subjects to follow him against his own father and against his kingdom. And Absalom represents rebellion, disobedience, disrespect, and dishonor to the king and everything that he stood for. He and his followers rejected the king. And this is exactly what we're seeing in the streets of our nation today. God has been rejected. The king was absent because he was pushed out. He was absent because the people's loyalty had been lost to another leader that had evil ambitions and evil intentions. He was betrayed just like he's being betrayed today in our country. Respect and adoration for the present king has been changed and redirected to another person. And like I said, it was never his desire to leave. The throne was rightfully his and belonged, and he belonged on that throne, and he could have took it forcefully and nobody would have been able to stop him. He left because his faithful, pay attention now, he left because his faithful Followers refused to stand up for him when it was time, and they turned their backs on him when he needed them the most. They rejected him and pushed him out.
we see a battle going on in a southwestern state. And there's a little firebrand in that state. And she's not going to be stepped on or walked over by the devil. I'm telling you right now. And she had put a, uh, a stop to the, I got to say it, I don't know another word, the certification of that election because of things that were going on. Obvious things that are on video and documented and all kinds of stuff that cannot be denied, but yet is being denied. And I don't think she's going to quit. That's the way the rest of the nation needs to become. Not settled for the devil's garbage. Not settled for his lying, thieving, cheating ways. The devil I'm talking about. But they followed Absalom because they thought they would get a better deal with him. They followed Absalom because he promised them benefits that they didn't have under the current leadership. And the new leader appealed to the younger generation, the college age generation. And they felt like they were entitled to things that they didn't work for and things that they didn't earn. And he promised them those things. But the devil's a liar when it came time to collect. And they'll fall for it again because they're, they're, the, that spirit of deception is so strong that they'll fall for it again. There's another southern state. And there's a song about a rainy night in that state. And all of a sudden, he's, the devil is offering that same benefit that he was just denied as unconstitutional in the rest of the country, but he's offering it in that rainy state. And I wonder why. Is it because there's going to be a runoff on December 6th and he needs that younger generation to vote in his favor? Just an observation. But this new leader offered them a better life. But he didn't tell them that this better life was for him and his leaders and that it was going to be at their expense and they were going to finance the whole thing. Such a picture of what's going on in the world today. In the hearts of the people, they had a new leader now. And that's where it counts, is in the heart. I know who the leader is in my heart. I don't care who's sitting where. I know the true leader that's in my heart. But anyway, they went from a godly leader to a carnal, fleshly leader that didn't care about God or his people. And they went from a spiritual leader that followed, at least tried to follow after the heart of God. Sure, he made mistakes. Sure, he had an abrasive uh, personality at times. Sure, he was outspoken at times. But this new leader appeals to the flesh. 
So they're sure to get their way now because surely Absalom would be much better for them. They wanted something new, something different, something to make them feel good, and something that would be free. And the problem today is that we live in a nation that's full of churches where the king has been absent for a long time now. And he's not absent because he chose to be absent. He's absent because he wasn't wanted there. It wasn't because the throne doesn't rightfully belong to him. It does. And he's got enough power to take it back and sit on it, but he won't because he was pushed out. And now a wicked leader sits on his throne. So God is no longer welcome in a lot of churches. You would be surprised. I could name some, and you would know them immediately. But here's the thing, and the reason I mention what's in my heart is because the Apostle Paul said that we're the temple of the living God. We're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And in every temple there's a throne. You have a throne in your heart, in your temple. But the question is, who's sitting in it? Who's sitting on that throne? It's your heart. It's his temple. But who's sitting on that throne in his temple? Who has a place of honor in your heart? You want to know why people have become so rebellious in this nation and unfortunately a large portion of the church is because just like Absalom, the devil has them believing there's greater pasture on the other side of the cross. I'm telling you now, brothers and sisters, stay on the right side of the cross. Don't get on the other side of the cross because it looks greener. It's not. It's deception. And I don't care how you slice it, the church of Jesus Christ is not even close to where it was in the beginning. In the beginning, you could see the power operating in the church. It was full of glory, full of victory, full of miracles, full of healing, full of the Holy Ghost. And the reason the church today isn't like that is because the king has departed. And he's been absent for a while. We've replaced the king with celebrities, sports figures, movie stars, money, and other things. And uh, we've replaced the king with ourselves through the religion of secular humanism and now transhumanism, which is going to be man with a chip in his head or something like that. I don't even know how they're going to do it. Uh, but we've replaced the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost with me, myself, and I. And the church has drifted. It's drifted in a lot of areas because a lot of preachers just won't preach the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. And it's because they want to please people. They don't want to hurt people's feelings. They don't want people taking their money to another church. And in the process of competing for that man's attention, that woman's attention, they have pushed the true king out. And there's all kinds of versions of the gospel being preached, and a lot of crazy doctrines are being taught. 
And what's really messed up is the church is eating it up. They're loving it. And that's why people are so easily deceived nowadays because they won't study the word for themselves and either prove or disprove what I'm saying. Uh, you know, we cancel a, a, a Wednesday night service and it pleases me to say this, but we receive a few objections and then feel like they should, we should cancel Wednesday night service. And it's only temporary, but I'm glad they feel that way. But my question is this. Until you do something with what you received on Sunday morning, besides put it on the shelf and let it get dusty, you don't need something on Wednesday. I'm just saying. You got enough on Sunday to ponder the rest of the week, but what did you do with it? Did you get anything out of Sunday's message? Did you change anything in your life as a result of what you heard on Sunday morning? Why are you looking for more on Wednesday night that you're just going to put on the shelf? I mean, I'm just being honest with you. But this is the place where we have to get is where we hear a message and we don't say, oh, that's just old pastor. He sure was funny yesterday. And, and, and you know, that's the end of it for the rest of the week, you know. Uh, I study hard for the little messages that I put out on Sunday morning. And, and uh, I not only study hard, I listen hard, I read hard. It takes time to develop a good message. Yeah. And, you know, for me to just spit it out on a Sunday morning and that's the end of it, that's not right. That's not what it's intended for. It's intended for, maybe you can't grasp the whole message or change your whole life on one Sunday morning, but there's something in there for everybody. If it's just one little thing, did you get that little thing and what did you do with it? Just something to think about. We'll talk more about Wednesday nights later. <laughs> Hallelujah. But the king is absent because the church is compromised and they pushed him out and, and it's getting to the place where, like I said before, you can't tell the difference between the church and the world. The church blended in. It'd be different if the world blended into the church, but it's the other way around. The church is blending into the world. And that's what will cause the king to leave. And you think that with everything that's going on in the world right now, and the fact that we know that Jesus is coming back soon, that we would think differently. We would change something. We would check that throne in our temple to make sure the right person is sitting on it. And it's not you. You think we'd want to get closer to God as we see the evidence of him coming sooner. And when the church started pushing out the eternal standard of holiness and compromising the word for other things, they pushed the king out right along with it because God demanded us to be holy as he is holy. I'll just replace you. You ain't putting that burden on me. That's too much to ask of me. It's not your holiness anyway. It just means being Christ and dwell in his holiness. 
you'll never be holy enough on your own. But the lack of biblical godly standards in our nation has produced a generation of young adults who don't know where the boundary lines are. Maybe they never did. Maybe they were taught them at one time, but pushed them aside and forgot about them, and now they're running around without restraint. There's nothing to restrain them. We have high crime because there's no penalty for it. Just do what you want. You'll get arrested, you'll be bailed out the next day, and you don't even have to go to court. So why, you know, why not? I'm going to try to finish here quickly. I've got more notes than i got time, but I'm having fun. The king's absent because people were not committed to him and didn't stand up for him and hold up his standard like they should have. And as a result, it was easy for Absalom to deceive them and take the king's place in their heart. And people are deceived because... They reject the truth of God's word. Anytime you reject the truth of God's word or anytime you don't bother to find out what the truth of God's word is, you'll be deceived. You'll be open for deception. You have nothing to compare. Something comes along and you don't have nothing to compare it to. Why? Because you didn't put the standard inside of you. Anyway, after Absalom was defeated... And he will be, and his rebellion was crushed. It was time for the true king to return and take his rightful place on the throne, but he didn't return right away. He didn't go storming back in as a conqueror. He didn't forcefully take back his throne, although he had the ability and, and the right to do it. He would only return upon invitation by the people. That's why we have altar calls. God ain't going to bum rush you. You've got to come to him. He's inviting you, and you've got to come to him. See, he has to make sure that you really want him back. And finally, the priests, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The pastors went to the people and asked, why are you the last to call the king back? I know it said the priests here, but you know you want to bring it. In, you want to uh, uh, spiritualize it and bring it into uh, the New Testament or bring it into modern times. The pastors went to the people and said, "Why are you the last ones to bring the king back?" And that's when the people finally realized that all the hardships they were experiencing—the high energy prices, high grocery prices, inflation, supply shortages, record crime. They finally realized that all the hell that broke out in the kingdom was because they rejected the king and didn't invite him back. Amen. He was there all the time, sitting there outside of the kingdom, probably with his arms folded, letting them get into all the mess they were getting into because he wasn't welcome. Nobody asked for him. Nobody asked for his help. They think man has all the, the answers, and he doesn't. So finally, they invited him back. They invited him to take the rightful place on his throne and in their lives and in their hearts. That's where it's most important. 
He has to be sitting on the throne in your heart. And I think it's time for our nation to repent. But where's the repentance going to start? In the church. It's not going to start out there in the streets. You're not going to see it in, in a crime-ridden neighborhood. It has to start in the church, and the church has to take it to the neighborhood. The church is the one that has to invite God back. Because David didn't call out to his people. He called out to the leaders of the church. And they're the ones that have to call him back. But that's a big responsibility. That's going to take a, uh, you know, a great leader to do that. But I'm going to tell you what. It doesn't take a great leader for you to call him back into your heart if he's been absent. Check your own heart. Check the throne in your heart. See who's sitting on it. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm going to quit right here. We still on the air, Brother Durham? Yes, sir. Let's praise the Lord. That's a miracle right there. I'll guarantee you it'll be Dean. Probably later when we have a chance to. But I know I probably keyed off, keyed some of those algorithm words off this morning. That's all right. We'll be on YouTube or Rumble by that time. So go to Rumble. If you don't get to hear this thing on Facebook, see this thing on Facebook, go to Rumble. It'll be there. God bless you. We love you. Appreciate you. We'll see you later. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.